I'll meet you at the back. <laughs> So our speaker this morning, Al Tricarico, uh, is familiar to some of you, but not all of you. He spoke yesterday at the men's retreat. So let me give you a little background. Uh, Al has pastored churches in New Jersey, D.C. He served as a missionary in Uganda, and he has also, uh, and currently, serves as in a denominational spot uh, one of the things that the denomination does is plant churches around the country. And so that's his focus, uh, church planting. So we've asked him to come, and we look forward to the Lord blessing us through his ministry. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Pastor. And uh, thank you, everyone. We had a good time yesterday, I think. I had a good time. And I hope others did, too. It is um, a real honor for me to be in your company today and to join you in praise. It's been a good morning already, and uh, it is a special privilege that I have to offer to you the gospel of our Lord, and I'm going to deliver that, mes deliver that message to you, but also to me. Every preacher needs to have ears to hear. Jonathan, Adge, don't you think? And um, you can be praying as I do that we would all sit under the voice of Christ, be encouraged by his grace, and be moved all the more to honor him in our lives. The text we're going to look at is 2 Corinthians 12. This is actually a continuation of the retreat, so it's the same theme that we have been taking up these last hours, uh, yesterday uh, morning and afternoon. And I want us all to give attention to this, the very word of our Lord. 2 Corinthians 12, I'll read 1 through 10. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, 
insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray together for understanding, shall we then? Lord, we do pray that you would be with us now. Give us the understanding we need of your will so we can know you and love you and serve you all our days. Give us power to believe and to conduct our lives according to what you have given in these precious words. What we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us. For the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Is it possible to be too strong to be useful to Jesus Christ? I ask the question because I think that it is if strength is understood in a certain biblical way. And I get this from the paradox in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I learn the deep limitations of my own resources and face debilitating hardships that make me cry out to God for relief, then I'm in a place where the strength of Jesus comes and does what I am not able to do. But when I am strong, self-reliant, confident in my own abilities, forgetful of my need for grace and dependency upon grace, then I fail. So brothers and sisters, let me say to you and say also to me, let's not be strong in our own eyes. Together, let's boast in weakness and enjoy the power of Jesus Christ that rests on those who call upon him to come in strength. You may know that 2 Corinthians was written during a time when its author, the Apostle Paul, was under attack. There were people in Corinth who wanted to discredit him. They belittled his ministry, and they insisted that members of the church do the same. What an extraordinary thing. And what a difficult letter to write. What kind of letter would you write if you were attacked like that? Paul did some really great things in the almost two years he spent with his friends in Corinth. And now people were turning against him. They were calling him names. And yet Paul loved Christ. And he loved the church. So under the power of the Holy Spirit, he wrote this letter. Chapter 12 contains an amazing confession. I don't think there is a more profound self-disclosure in all of Paul's letters than what we have here. These 10 verses give us a report of the highest peak and the deepest valley in the life of the apostle. His greatest positive experience with God and his darkest trial, suffering so great that he pleaded three times for Christ to remove it. 
Paul's testimony means something to you and me. Let's not become proud of our experiences and let's not despise our sufferings. And I want us all to take these lessons under these three heads. Let me give them to you. First, we'll think about the limits of privilege. And then secondly, the uses of suffering. And what I mean by that is how God uses suffering in the lives of those whom he loves. And then finally, we'll give greater focus to our Savior and think about the weakness and the power of Jesus Christ. We'll take things up that way. The limits of privilege. The Apostle Paul was a special servant of Christ, wasn't he? God used him to do amazing things and to give the church the ages these glorious expositions of the gospel of Christ. These things we know. Of course, there is much about Paul that we don't know. In fact, if he were not slandered by his enemies in Corinth, we would probably never learn about a certain experience that he had with Christ. And here are the words again. Let me read them to you. These are verses 2 through 4. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. It seems strange to us that uh, Paul would speak of himself in the third person, but that's what he did. Jesus did this sometimes, didn't he? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I know you're very happy about that statement, but Jesus was speaking of himself, right? He was the Son of Man, and yet he spoke in the third person. We're glad he did, because no one else could ransom us. Jesus did. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Paul's words tell us a story about himself. And in humility, he uses a third person. He must have had himself in mind because he owns the boasting connected with the experience. And he did boast. Paul was a boaster, you know. We don't usually approve of boasting, but Paul's is a good kind of boasting. And I want to tell you why. First, he was addressing the ungodly boasting of those who were promoting themselves in the church. They presented letters, perhaps lists of references and accomplishments as well, to certify their value as leaders and teachers. They were really something, you see. They had letters. Where are your letters, Paul? Why should we listen to you? You are short. You are ineloquent. Why, you don't even charge fees for your speaking engagements. What kind of apostle are you? These kinds of accusations were being made. And the Christians at Corinth were hearing them and, be and beginning to believe them. So Paul took on the uncomfortable task of listing his qualifications. You can find them throughout the letter and especially in chapter 11. You can look those up. And when you do, and as you read them, notice that they did not include fees and letters. 
There is no list of earnings, no references of satisfied customers, no reports of church planting successes or sellout crowds of applauding ticket holders, none of that. He reported on his trials, his weaknesses. God's certification came in the context of suffering. Then consider that even the report of this vision is presented 14 years after it happened. He didn't parade himself as Jesus' best friend and prove it by, by talking about this vision. He gave his conversion testimony many times, but never this 14-year-old vision at least not until he feels almost forced to do so in this letter. And then finally, remember that Paul was really boasting in ways known to God's people throughout history. In boasting in his weakness, he was boasting in the Lord. Maybe you know these words from Jeremiah 9. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You boast like that, and you will honor Christ. Now, what was this vision? I really don't know, and uh, you don't either. In fact, Paul himself did not know it completely. In the body, out of the body, he couldn't tell. What he did know and what he reported in this letter is that he was, he was drawn up to heaven, the third heaven, as he put it, paradise, and that he heard things that cannot be spoken. What did he hear? Where exactly did he go? How long was he there? When did he get back and how? We don't know. And, you know, it's good that we don't know. This is not an experience that you and I ought to seek. It was unique and, for the most part, unknowable to us in this life. But what a blessing this must have been for Paul. He enjoyed it. He remembered it as he was able. But he was also put in a place of risk, the risk of inflating the value of the vision and thus inflating his own value in his own mind. And I say that because of what is coming in the next verses. Now, while you and I cannot make a claim like this and we ought not to seek an experience like Paul's, we can, and probably most of us have experienced special times of blessing from the Lord positive, feel-good, spiritual moments when we really enjoy the blessings of God and, and may be tempted to think more highly of ourselves than we should. 
God does some great things for you, and you begin to own them as if you deserve his favor or are better than other people or are singled out as privileged. We are all privileged, aren't we? We're the family of God. We have Jesus as our friend, savior, brother, and king. And we have countless blessings because of our adoption into God's family. But we must never allow these blessings to puff us up. Don't let that happen. Humbly give thanks. Enjoy what God has done and has given to you. And if you boast, boast in your weakness. Boast in him. Paul was a privileged person, a VIP, we sometimes say. But there was risk in this even for the apostle. He was placed in danger through privilege. And the danger was the temptation to boast in his own strength. So God put suffering into his life. And he puts suffering into all of our lives, doesn't he? Let's think about Paul's particular trial, God's design in bringing it, and then think about our own trials as well. Maybe some things may come to your mind. Christ sent Paul a thorn in the flesh. It was a messenger of Satan. That's how the text puts it. But as with all of Satan's intention, uh, t intentions, God overruled. He used the darkness for his own good purposes and in the case of the Lord's purpose, in this case, the Lord's purpose was to protect Paul from pride. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. There it is. As our brother mentioned, my family lived in Uganda for some years, a very remote part of the country called Karamoja. And uh, that section of Uganda, which is the poorest region of one of the poorest countries in the world, Karamoja, it is called by many the land of thorns. And that's a good name because thorn trees are everywhere. And the thorns are very hard and sharp and really strong. The Karamajong people surround their villages with thorn fences to keep out intruders. And I'm here to tell you that is a very effective approach to security. I once got a bloody cut on my balding head by just walking under a tree and lightly brushing against a thorn. They can hurt. But they can also be managed. Just watch where you're going, where you're stepping, especially. And if a thorn gets you, wash it up, be patient. Healing will come. Paul's image is a lot stronger. He did not want his readers to think that his trial was a manageable irritant. 
Paul's thorn, some say stake would be a better English word for this. His thorn was not a mere nuisance. It was an abiding agony. It's not known exactly what that was. You can read the studies, collect a nice list of possibilities. Most say it was a physical affliction of some kind. Whatever it was, it was painful and brought Paul to a place of pleading. It must have been really bad because as far as we know, Paul did not repeatedly <clears throat> beg for relief from his other really painful trials like receiving 39 lashes from his enemies five times. Five times. 2 Corinthians 11:24. <clears throat> what was it like for Paul <clears throat> to endure that kind of torture a second time, remembering the feeling of the first? Would you have pleaded for relief if you were faced with the second, third, fourth, fifth beating. No record of Paul seeking such relief. He might have, I suppose, but Scripture doesn't record it. And yet this thorn, this verse 7 thorn, was so painful, so agonizing, that Paul repeatedly begged that Christ would take it away. But it remained. Why did it remain? Let me give you two reasons, two ways that God used suffering in Paul's life. And the first one is specifically mentioned in the text. God's design was to keep Paul from becoming conceited. And this is not difficult to understand. <clears throat> Christ blessed Paul in ways unknown to anybody else. And he loved Paul too much to allow those blessings to stand alone. He combined them with suffering to protect Paul from himself. Brothers and sisters, do not despise the hardships that come to you. And they do come. They are God's loving instruments that he uses to show you that he is great, that you are weak, and that he is strong for you. Because if you experience only positive, affirming, comfortable things, you will begin to think too highly of yourself. And that is far more dangerous than any trial that comes. If everything always goes well, then how will you know that you're trusting Christ? How will you recognize your own weakness? And if you don't recognize your own weakness, how will you discover Christ's power? You won't. And that's the point. It's not that Jesus delights in your pain. We're never to think that. Not at all. He is a, a sympathetic high priest. He has compassion on you. He knows how you feel because he was here. And he felt the same things. But in his sympathy, he wants you to trust him, to rely on him, and to receive power from him. Your weakness and your recognition of weakness is the means that he has given for you to call upon him and to receive his power. And that's why Paul can say, when I am weak, 
then I am strong. And weakness exists in many different forms. For Paul, it was a physical weakness, probably, along with a trajectory toward pride. I think that's everybody's weakness. For you, it may be other things. But I would be very surprised to learn that there's even one person in this room who is not right now conscious of some kind of weakness. Paul's problem was not the thorn, as painful as that must have been. That affliction, that thorn, whatever it may have been, was not the real disease. In reality, it was the treatment. And it was the treatment for far deeper conditions. Namely, pride and self-reliance. Paul's problem was not the thorn. And God brought that thorn to heal him in a far more deeper way. God's design in this was to protect Paul from pride. That's one thing. The second is this. God did not remove the thorn when Paul pleaded so that Paul would learn to pray and to rely on grace. And Paul prayed. The Lord listened. The Lord did not do what Paul begged him to do. And so Paul kept praying. He knew when to pray, and I suppose he also knew when to stop praying. And we know that Christ heard him. And we know that he answered the prayer. How do we know? Because the answer is recorded in the letter. It's in verse 9. Take a look. But he said to me, here's Christ's answer to Paul's pleadings. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul goes on, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So there it is. The grace of Christ is sufficient. Do you believe that? It was for Paul. And it is for you. It really is. Never be embarrassed to go to him in weakness. Rejoice that he will receive you and he will provide for you. Do you want the power of Christ to rest upon you? Face your weaknesses. Go to Jesus and plead with him not to make your life easy, but to strengthen your faith and your walk with him. I have heard it said that you will learn that Christ is all you need when Christ is all you have. And sometimes God seems to remove much of life's support in order to draw one of his precious children close. I don't know this personally yet, but I know some people who do. They know it well. Maybe you know such people. Maybe you're among them. I should say that Paul did not sin in his prayer. It was good for him to want relief and to pray for relief. You can do the same. But life may not shape up the way you want. Well, go to Jesus and tell him that too. And then rest in his love 
plead for his strength and rely on his grace, which is always sufficient for you. When you are weak, then you are strong. Now let's give some attention to the weakness and the power of Christ. Near the end of this letter, Paul wrote these amazing words, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. So Jesus was also weak. Not in every way he was without sin, but in many ways. We might say in every other way, he was weak. His whole life was weakness. Despised, rejected, falsely accused. He was called a demon, a drunkard, a glutton, an illegitimate child, a Sabbath breaker, a promise breaker, and a blasphemer. He wept at a funeral and was deeply troubled by the betrayal of a friend. He felt every blow that came to him and every word of mockery hurled at him. Did Jesus feel the weakness that Paul felt and that we all feel? Yes, he did. Is he able to sympathize? Yes. But can he really appreciate what it means to plead for relief the way Paul did three times over? Yes, again. Turn back the clock from Paul's day just a couple of decades to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus did pray three times for the cup to pass. But with that prayer was the recognition that his Father's will must prevail. That's the way to pray. That's always the way to pray. For all of us, Jesus did not sin in asking because he was willing to accept the will of his Father. This does, by the way, put to rest the idea that you can discern God's leading through feelings of peace. Jesus was in agony as he thought about what was coming and as he knew what he had to do. The climax of Jesus' weakness came when he gave his life for our sins. He was crucified in weakness. Not that he had no power, but that he chose not to use his power to destroy his enemies or to escape their judgments. But he submitted to weakness and suffering and death for you, for your sake. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. The grave was not able to hold Jesus Christ. He rose in power, he lives by power, and he provides power to all who come to him in weakness. I hope you believe this. I hope that you can say with Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus knows you. He is present with you. He is tender toward you. And he will provide for you. He completely gets how broken the world is and how difficult life can be 
when lived among the pieces. He understands, he sympathizes, and he is very pleased to give you the strength you need to face every trial of life. Glory to him. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for all the promises and commands of your holy word. We thank you for the lessons that have come to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to know them, to believe them, to follow them, to trust you, to know that you are at work in our lives and that when suffering comes, it's just your way of getting our attention and drawing our hearts to you so that we can call upon you and enjoy the power that comes, that rests upon those who call upon you in weakness. We do confess that we are very slow to learn this. And so even now, we need you to come, increase our faith, enlarge our hearts for you, for your word, for your church, and for your world. We pray this in the name of Christ our King. Amen. Our closing hymn is 498, Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. So I invite you to rise and to join your voices singing with joy in the Lord.